<laughs> that, that gets to me. Thank you. I needed that. Um, I would like to welcome you, and I would also like to uh, just kind of give you a little bit of a warning shot just in case. Most of our children, younger children, are down in uh, child care right now. But I do want, oh, I see a bunch of kids in here. So I just want you to realize I'm going to talk about sexuality today. I'm just going to lay it right out there right on the front so that you know. You, you, you recognize that. So if it's something that you feel uncomfortable with, I will also tell you that other than maybe a couple of SpongeBob, SpongeBob episodes, if you've ever watched any television, I'm not going to say anything more offensive than the television shows that we watch, okay? So I'm just going to let you that, know that up front. But this passage takes us into a discussion about sexuality that is pretty thorough. Coincidentally, is if there are any coincidences... I just have been on a weekend retreat with several of our high school young ladies talking about sexuality, helping them hear, learn, understand. Some of this is going to dovetail. Oh, Brittany, sorry, you're going to get an extra double dose. You can leave. You can go. No, I'm only kidding. Brittany was there, and some of our other girls were there, and it was a a great time. But because I, I feel like we have a responsibility to really review this issue. It wasn't just Paul's culture that had issues with sexuality. And so we're going to dig in. I'm just giving you the warning shot over the bow and you let you make the decision as we go along. Now, with all of that in mind, uh, there's a tra- fast forward to New York City and there's a nun out standing on the side of the street. She hails a cab, right? Cabbie picks her up, gets in the cab and uh, they start driving down the road and the cab driver just keeps looking at her in the rear, mu- rear view mirror enough that it's freaking her out. And she's like, what in the world's going on? So she says, my son, what is the problem? You keep looking at me in the, in the mirror. And he says, you know, I want to tell you this, but I just don't really want to offend you. And she says, don't worry, my son. I've been a nun for many, many years. Nothing will bother me. Nothing you can say will be offensive to me. What is the problem? And he says, well, I've always had this fantasy about kissing a nun. And she says, well... That's unusual, but uh, maybe we can do something about that. She says, I've got two requirements. Number one, you have to be single. Number two, you have to be Catholic. And so the cab driver says, as a matter of fact, I am single and Catholic, both of those. And she says, okay, we'll just pull over up to the side of the road up here. So he does. And she gets out and gives him a kiss that would make your dog blush. And then she gets back in the car and they get back on the road and they're driving along and he starts getting kind of shaking his head, and his hands start shaking, and she's like, what's the matter, my son? And he says, well, I have a confession to make. I'm sorry, but I am not single. I'm a married man, and also I'm not Catholic. I'm a Jew. And she says, well, I also have a confession to make. My name is Kevin, and I'm going to a Halloween party. (laughs) Pete Coldicelli, thank you for that one. Um, A classic. Now, When I said that, you should see your faces as I'm navigating through that joke, okay? Because you're recognizing, oh, 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 (laughs) right? We're getting to some places, especially in church. Why does that matter? What's the difference? Is it because we're together? Is it because we really think God is kind of listening somehow a little different? Is it not a problem if we're watching it at 10 o'clock at night on on a sitcom? Because that was not that bad, right? But it pushed up a couple of inches up close, right? And then I even wonder afterwards, I go, should we even be laughing at that joke? Do you know how many sexual problems are in that joke? There's like 19 (laughs) issues wrapped up in that joke. But we find it funny. 
And hear me out here. I'm not a prude. I'm not trying to say, okay. And you'll hear that. In fact, one of the first things I said to the young ladies this weekend was, I am so sorry that the church has, in fear response, has flipped it all the way over to where now we're just going to control and just do whatever we can to use shame, guilt, anything we can to get you to keep your pants on. Okay, that is not good either. And that's not what I'm going to walk into. But Paul takes us some places that we need to go today. And we're going to talk about it. We're just going to be honest. I bet you haven't heard a bunch of sermons on this. I bet not. So if you want to reach in front of you, get your Bibles, get those ready, turn to Ephesians. It's near the back. We'll be in chapter 5. I want to tell you a couple of things as a setup. First of all, Ephesians is a book that is very likely it was a circular letter. If you look, Westcott and Hort, who did some translations in the 1880s from some of the oldest texts and copies we have of the New Testament, literally put a blank in chapter 1 where it says, to the, to the Christians in Ephesus, they put a blank there because what they believed from all of their research was there was just an empty spot there that Tychicus, who was his personal assistant, could write in the name of the church as he was delivering the copy of the letter to the church. Seriously. So this is not, if you see it, it's not as personal, it's not as wrapped up as usual. So it is, here's the point, it's a letter to the Christians all throughout Asia Minor. It could be to the whole Roman Empire. Okay, Christians everywhere. So this isn't just written to people who are struggling with this issue in Ephesus. They were struggling with the issue in the whole Roman Empire. We're going to look at that a little bit. Second of all, this is in the application side of the letter. The right side of that scroll, like we've talked about, where there's a whole bunch of applies, do this, don't do that, after he's talked about theology and thinking. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that's very practical. The verbs are very second person plural. They are not just y'all, they are all y'all. Okay, in the, I was corrected because I said Yuns in the first service and then I said that that was a southern idiom and then one of the Texas people said that is not correct at all. It's all y'all, which you can't say just y'all once, you got to say it twice in there. So these verbs are to all y'all first. It is a corporate discussion first as body of Christ and then it drills down to individualism. We being Americans, of course, read this immediately as all being about me. It isn't. First, it's to us. It's unity. It's body. And then it requires individual adjustment, which is that line from that song. I'm so glad we sang that. Good job, Whitney. Way to go. That it says we're being made new. We're in that process of being made new. And we're also being made free in that. This is a process that is individual, but it's group as well. Next. Walk is in here a bunch. I'm not going to hit on it, but I want you to know that that verb, it's, it's translated live in the NIV, which is kind of disappointing because it really has a lot more of the characteristics that are true about you. This is not just, okay, put one foot and step in front of the other. Yes, that's true. That's how this happens. You're not on a sprint. At the same time, it is what is true about you in this walk. What are the characteristics that as people look at you as a body of Christ that they believe to be true about you. You're going to hear one from a Wikipedia page here in a minute that is going to probably make you a little mad, the perceptions that are of us as Christians. And last this, we're coming out of a section where Paul has spent a bunch of time at the back end of chapter 4 talking about our words and how that affects us in anger and in building up or inappropriateness or obscene 
jokes. Oh, wait, I kind of messed that one up, didn't I? Okay, so those words and how we affect each other. He's talking about words. Then he flips right here at chapter 5, verse 1. So open there if you've got it. 5-1. We're going to read this whole passage. So if nothing else, you hear Paul talk, the Holy Spirit through Paul to you. And I'm going to try to go back and get enough meaning from the background that you can actually understand what it meant there and then how it applies to us here. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, just as children imitate. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're going to celebrate that in the communion at the end. But among you, there must not even be a hint of, here we go, sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity. Not not just like full-blown redefinition sexual immorality, but any kind of impurity. Or of greed. Now, you tend to think, we all do, that's talking about money. It has nothing to do. This is sexual greed. Sexual greed. Uh, A insatiable appetite for sex. Should not be a hint of that within you. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, here's some good news. Those are all the red lights, put-offs, right? Don't do those. To the green lights, which are the put-ons, thanksgiving. What does that have to do with sexuality? We're going to get there. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, sexual greed, such such a man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you're light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. I don't know how light and... Dark have fruit, but that's the the metaphor that he uses. He mixes his metaphors there. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Wait, I thought you said expose them to light. Why is it shameful to mention? We'll keep going there. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it's light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, that's walk, Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because it leads to sexual debauchery. We're still talking about sex in the background of this and the issues with it. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing, make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. Oop, there's Thanksgiving again. Hooks back through. To God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good words, Paul. Now, do you get it? Okay, you want to go home? No, okay, okay, we're, we're still going. Here we go. Let's dig into this thing a little bit. Right at the beginning, he uses that phrase of be imitators. This is literally the Greek word that we get the word mimic from, copy. Now, we have taken it to, like, be something that's funny. You know, it's our comedians that do mimic work, that copy each other. But this is talking, do you see how you do this as children of the Lord? Children 
isn't it the coolest thing when the little girl puts on mom's big shoes and the dress and so you know you're all giggling right now thinking about it what are they doing they're just copying what they see when boys are around with the truck they didn't start that they watch dad or somebody else doing that right they're mimicking adults they're trying to sort out what's appropriate what isn't appropriate by copying Guys, we talked two weeks ago about this process. This is a put off your old identity. You used to be a ski instructor. You don't need those tools and those clothes and that stuff anymore. And you put on the new identity, which is a surgeon. And you need new tools, new training, new understanding, new mentors, new everything. That's what this is talking about. And he brings that up here to say, mimic, imitate. I've been talking to you about words, and now all of a sudden he goes from that to sexuality. Why? Because it was such an issue. Such an issue. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of things here about the culture of immorality in the Roman culture. Now, that makes you a little nervous right there. Because you think in your mind, holy cow, they were horrible. They were a million miles from us, right? Okay, listen. This is looking it up, finding out what their value systems, how things work. First of all, number one, sexuality was considered a behavior common to humanity that had no moral implications whatsoever. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what we're trying to teach right now? Sexuality has no moral implications. It doesn't have anything to do with relationship. It doesn't have anything to do with anything other than it's just a behavior like taking a shower. Number one in their value system. Number two... Prostitution was legal throughout the entire 500-year period of the Roman Empire. Now, you say, well, we don't have legal prostitution. We're a lot better than them. Really? Have you ever been to Vegas? <laughs> have you ever been places? Do we really believe in our hearts? Now, it might not be up at the top in the legal culture. Do you think it happens in our culture? Uh, hello, pay some attention. It's, all, oh, it's rampant in our culture. It's just a layer under. Number three, sacred sexuality was a big part of their regular process. So they would worship through sex. Guys, they understood a lot more about sex than we did when it comes to that part. They understand this is a lot more about spirituality, about psychology. There's a lot more going on here with sexuality than just a, you know, a banal human behavior. And they actually attached it. You would go to the temples and worship by taking part in sexuality. Uh, we may not have the exact same form of that, but maybe we'd understand it better. If we, okay. So the strata of society, there was a, heart, a huge strata that was protected from sexual abuse. But there was a large strata of a society. Any slave, any non-freeborn, younger person, most women, were literally available to be taken abusively. In sex. They're just to be taken. That's how it is. Fifth, behaviors, sexual behaviors captured in art and in genitalia as far as jewelry and things were very, very common. We know this from digging up Pompeii and different places. There's this beautiful bedroom. Everything's set up in this room. And, and on the wall is this gorgeous mosaic out of tile that took somebody a whole lot of time to make. And it's a picture of a couple going at it right in there. And they would wear amulets that were genitalia around them. They were actually considered to be good luck charms. It's kind of part of the deal. Children wore them, by the way. Now you go, well, we don't do that. Really? If you walked in a 
store in a situation, what are all of those magazines lined up across there? What is that selling us? Now, they may not be as quite as far. It's the exact same tool. It's the exact same opinion of it. Well, that's all, you know, we just, well. Children, especially young boys, were considered open game. And in fact, part of their initiation right to become young men, adult men, was usually to have sex with somebody, usually an adult man. Didn't matter what the gender was of the child. That was part of their initiation right. Is we just kind of take advantage of that. They're available. Last, they use sexuality, of course, as a common weapon form. They would go into an area and conquer process. They would tear down the walls. They would burn the place. They would go in, and what did they always do? They raped. Have you ever wondered why they did that behavior? I mean, is this a really sexual opportunity here? Like, is this like, you know what I mean? Is this like a, a circumstance that feels very sexual to you? Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just, like, lay them on the floor and jump on their back or something? No. There's power in this. It walks. I walk in, and not only do I take your stuff, but I take you sexually. Because if you won't participate with me in this, what I want... I will take it and use it as a power tool. Do you think sex just means the same thing as going to the bathroom? Every culture in history is known better than that. You know better than that. You do know better than that. You know better. And we, as human beings, we're like, what is going on with all of this? I don't know if you heard how many commonalities there are between modern Western culture and Roman culture in the mindset and the attitudes of sexuality. There's a bunch. We're maybe not quite that far yet. We'll see what happens. Thankfully, Paul, after he does a whole section on the tough parts, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, greed, those who are improper, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, all of that's out of place. He finally says something happy. <laughs> he says, but rather there should be thanksgiving. What in the world does that have to do with sexuality? You remember what he did just a couple of seconds ago to connect greed to sex. Follow me through this trail. If you are a thankful person, if you take the posture and the belief that you can be thankful for what you have, inherently you're saying, this is enough. This is enough. If I get more, that'd be awesome. But I don't need another steak to be thankful for the steak that I have in front of me. Only people who have turned appreciation for into idolatry then become greedy for something that they should be thankful for. Oh, I've had six awesome powder days this year. If I don't get another one, that's still awesome. I can be thankful for those. How many people do you bump into that are satisfied with six great powder days? How many people do you bump into who are satisfied with their sexual incidents? What they get. He says, thanksgiving is an antidote or at least an evidence of a heart that has put sexuality in an appropriate place. It's right after he says, all of these kind of things are improper for you because you're children of God. Now, if you have thanksgiving, if you can literally get to that posture, you say, God, I don't need any more than this. 
I've had one woman in my life for my entire adult life. One. I, I often am embarrassed to say that out loud because I think people will think, oh, you can't relate to me. Why is it that way? I've, I am not dissatisfied by that. I'm not saying, oh, man, okay, one more year and then I can't take it anymore, right? I'm going to go shopping after that. I'm not doing that. I'm thankful for what I have. Now, he turns it back around and he says, okay, I got some more bad news for you. There's no immoral people, impure, greedy. We're back to, still in sexual greed because such a man is an idolater. He doesn't have an inheritance in the kingdom. So don't be partners with these people or listen to their empty words that give justification for their behaviors. You hear what that said? Oh, they can come up with ways to make this sound like it's all fine, to polish this up and make it look good. Does that sound familiar at all? So I googled human sexuality. How many results do you think I got? Guesses? 882 million results on the internet. Are people interested in sex? I think probably so. Maybe even a little bit more than other stuff. Maybe that's why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, read it sometime, all other sins, if you think all sins are equal, you've not read 1 Corinthians 6.20 and that passage following through. All other sins man commits are outside of his body. Sexual sins have more impact than anything else that happens in the world. God said it through Paul. They carry more impact 882 million. Now, three websites were at the top. First one is what? You know what it is. It's always the top one, not Amazon. What's the, second, the one after that? Wikipedia. That's exactly right. Wikipedia is right at the top. So Wikipedia tells us this. For information specifically about sexual activity, see human sexual activity. For sexual behavior, listen, among other animals, see animal sexual behavior. Did you hear what just happened in the first sentence of this? Our sexual behavior is A, just behavior. Doesn't mean anything more than that. B, no different than the animals. Okay, well, we have a little different, so we did at least separate it out, so there's an animal behavior, sexual behavior category. Ladies and gentlemen, animals do not have sex. They don't. For all other animals. Human sexuality is the capacity to have erotic experiences and responses may also involve a person's sexual attraction to another person, which may be determined by their sexual orientation, and then it goes through a whole discussion about orientation. Equalizing homosexuality, heterosexuality, asexuality, all of those are equally the same because they're just an orientation point. Some researchers assume sexual behavior is determined by genetics. Others think that it's molded by the environment. This is the whole nature-nurture thing. Evolutionary perspectives on human coupling. Man, that just makes me hot when they say human coupling, doesn't it? Human coupling and or reproduction provide another perspective on sexuality. Listen to this sentence. This is the second paragraph. Human sexuality impacts cultural, political, legal, philosophical aspects of life. It can refer to issues of morality, ethics, theology, spirituality, or religion. Well, thanks for bringing that in. I appreciate that. That's good. Now listen to what they say. 
Sociocultural aspects of sex sexuality are affected by historical developments and religious beliefs, including Jewish views on sexual pleasure within marriage and Christian views on avoidance of sexual pleasures altogether. Did you see now what just happened? Okay, not only is this just a human behavior that just kind of happens, but the Christians are the ones that have ruined this whole thing by talking about avoidance. Now, I apologize to our high school girls for the fact that that has been true many times, using fear and all kinds of monkey business. But it is not true that Christianity has ruined sex. That is not true. But that's where it comes. In fact, the next sentence says, and some cultures actually uh, describe this as being sexually repressive. That's us. Somehow. Because we don't just say, oh, whatever. Now, to give you a little bit about what sexuality means, I only have a couple of minutes here. Go all the way back. First, where does sex show up? Genesis 1. Sexuality comes on the table, and God says, let us make man in our image. And the image is literally the same word. You heard him, Paul, talk about idolatry in here? The image in Genesis 1 is the same word for an idol. It's the exact same word that's used in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, describing don't build idols. And in fact, the very first commandment is do not make graven images, idols. Why do you think that is? What would be the problem? Why, did God, why would God say don't make an idol of me? Everybody else is making idols of everything else. You know why? God made you as an image of his character and nature. Human beings are images. The word is exactly the same. Not for us to be worshipped, but for us to be a reflection, an, an image. Not like, okay, you're a human being with a little bit of godness sprinkled on you. It's not that. It is you are fashioned by God. Character, nature, everything to be an image of God to the world. That's what we are. You're the best. And oh, by the way, guys, he made us put a little bit of ruling and a little bit of authority in there, and then he made the best thing ever. Woman. Oh, nice work. And that is a sexual being. They are awesome. And that is God's design. And he did not build it to be something that is just as common as going and taking a shower and exfoliating tomorrow. Sexuality is wrapped up in your image bearing, which is why Paul does that little aside on idolatry, because you could actually make sex an idol, and ladies and gentlemen, a whole bunch of people in our culture, maybe even in this room, have made that the case. It's the all, the end all, the measuring stick by which everything is, is measured up against. And then, because I don't literally do not have time to do any more, but I wanted you to feel the weight of this, especially... If you're from the baby boom and bust generation, I wanted you to feel the weight of this as our young people come into the minefield that is sexuality and understanding of sexuality in America today. I want you to feel the weight because they need your help navigating the minefield. They need your help. I know you don't have all the answers, but whatever you should not do is go stick your head in the closet and hope that, and then complain about the kids because they're so sexual. 
But then what Paul does is he connects this to worship. And we're going to continue in worship here. We're going to take an offering. We're going to have servers that are going to come and are going to offer an opportunity to partake of something that's physical and tangible. And we're going to hear music in the background. And God, Paul connects the thanksgiving then across back into verse 20 in this passage and says, this speaking to each other is actually a way for us to get what we were hoping from in sexuality, which is this unity, this sense of intimacy, this sense of we're a part of something, of connection. You may not know this, the word for sex comes from Latin secare, which means to tear apart and destroy. Really? Disconnect. Really? That's what that word means? Yes, because it's trying to get back some of that connection that motivates us in the first place. And we have an opportunity here as a culture of people to experience care, love, honesty, willingness to look each other in the eye and say, well, we're, we're in this together. To encourage, to build each other up, to use our words, but also not tear down our words in the background with our sexual being, our sexual doing. That's the opportunity that we have. Ushers, why don't you come? If, Fuse, if you guys will come back up.